Well, if you're just joining us for the first time, we're working our way through the book of 2 Corinthians, as you can see. And we're currently spending four weeks in chapters 10 through 12 and even into chapter 13. This is our third week in this focus study on biblical self-defense. And if you're familiar with this book, then you know that Paul is under intense criticism from false teachers, from false prophets who have snuck into the church of Corinth, Corinth, which he founded. And now that he is away, they are undermining both his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ and they are undermining the message of the gospel. They are tearing down the church. They're preaching and teaching a different Jesus. They're teaching a different spirit and they're teaching a different gospel, the text says. And you know, they have made three primary false accusations against Paul. One, he's lying. Two, he's selfish. And three, he doesn't even love you. Those are enough to ruin any relationship, if true. Now, it's through Paul's response in these chapters, particularly 10 through 12, that God is teaching us invaluable truths and mistakes this collection of truths and mistakes. What to do and what not to do. And much of what Paul is writing, as we've seen, falls into two categories, these two categories. Here's our list, our list so far from the past two weeks. The first is to maintain a spiritual focus on your very real situation. This is versus making the mistake of having an outward human focus. We see also that God calls us to build each other up even in the hard times, even in conflict and in disagreement, God calls us to build each other up, not tear each other down. We see that credit is due where credit is due and versus taking credit for what others have achieved. And the more I ponder that, the more I realize how easy it is to take credit for what God and others have invested into my life to even be, allow me to be able to do whatever I do for Christ. We see number four, God's measurement and His commendation are all that matter in life. That's when we have to remind ourselves of often, especially versus making the mistake of self-measurement and self-commendation. Number five, we are to protect what is God's versus protecting self. We're to maintain pure and simple devotion to Christ instead of being deceived by false truths. Number seven, we are to skillfully know the whole truth lest we misuse limited knowledge. And finally, we had the need to watch out for false teachers, especially in the church. Versus... This just blows our minds, but it happens, and we see it happen often. Making the mistake of actually eagerly tolerating foolish abuse. Now today, we are going to blitz our way through ten more of these truth lessons. And I encourage you to take notes for your small group discussions this week. But don't worry if you don't catch every word next week. I'm going to have this entire list printed off for us, including some, a few more truth lessons that we're, we're going to see next Sunday as we wrap up the book of 2 Corinthians. But for the sake of time today, and because of our purposes for studying through 2 Corinthians, we're going to read chapters 11, verse 21, through chapter 12, verse 5, but we're not going to spend time studying and exploring 
Paul's extensive list of accomplishments and sacrifices for the gospel. First off, that would be missing the whole point of him even giving this list. Remember, in this list, he is essentially saying, if this is a foolish competition to see who's the top apostle, then here is my list. But remember, that is not what he is after. He is actually pointing out that in their foolishness, they are miscalculating. And he's showing them the whole miscalculation in order to refute it in the first place and to point the church to a better standard of measurement. Second, this whole list of accomplishments and sacrifices is perhaps better saved for a historical study of the life of Paul at a later date. So today we're going to read through this list, but our study will really begin in chapter 12, verse 5 through 10. So let's pick up where we left off last week, beginning in chapter 11, verse 21, starting in the middle of the verse, where we see Paul changes gears and addresses what he would very likely call his worthless credentials list. Verse 21, but in whatever respect anyone else is bold, and he's speaking of the false apostles that have come into the church, he says, I speak in foolishness. That's him saying this whole conversation is ridiculous. And he goes on to say, I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Eratas the king was guarding the city of the Democenes in order to seize me, and I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and so escaped his hands. Chapter 12. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ, speaking of himself, who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. 
On behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And what was Paul's response? Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. May God give us wisdom as we study His perfect Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand humbled at such words we have just read. This concept of your power being perfected in our weakness, Lord, that is a hard lesson to learn. But what a lesson if we learn it. Lord, teach us the heavenly truths that are in this text. Open our eyes as only your Spirit can do and reveal divine wisdom to us. Give us the confidence and the gladness that Paul had even in his most distressing times. What fortitude to begin to grasp such heavenly realities. Lord, we want to learn these things. Life is short. Why suffer alone when we can suffer with the power of God? Teach us, Lord. We anticipate, we expect by the grace and goodness of God that you will do a work not only in our minds this morning, but in our hearts. Send us away from this place with such truth and such strength, such faith, that the world looks at us and says, where do you get that from? Lord, help us to be a, sh a shining light of your sufficient grace. We pray these things with great expectation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, fasten your seatbelts as we jet through 10 more truth lessons in the verses we just read. Beginning with chapter 12, verse 5. So after mentioning the incredible revelations, Paul says, On behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. This leads us right into truth lesson number 9 which is definitely going to be expanded as we work our way through the next several verses. Truth lesson nine, let others see your weaknesses. 
Don't make the mistake of always hiding your struggles. And I dare say that this lesson is particularly difficult for pastors, for church leaders and teachers, for moms and dads, for employers, etc. That's not to say that we should always walk around with a poor me mentality, always drawing attention to our faults and weaknesses. Paul doesn't do that and he's not telling us to. But there is a very pointed truth expressed throughout all of these chapters that if he is going to boast about something, if he is going to glory in and draw attention to something about himself, it is going to be his weaknesses. This is the same Greek word used for feebleness. Some of your Bibles use the word infirmities. I don't know about you, but those are the last things I tend to draw attention to about myself. More on this as we continue. Verse 6. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this. Truth lesson 10. Just because it's true doesn't mean we say it. Versus making the mistake of bragging, even when it is true. Again, Paul listed his credentials, his accomplishments, his sacrifices. Not to say, look at all the good I'm doing for Christ, but to say, if that's what you want to measure by, you're not even comparing me and these false teachers correctly. But Paul doesn't even want to talk about his most incredible, miraculous, supernatural revelation directly from God to him that he mentioned here at the start of chapter 12. If you had that kind of experience, if I had that kind of experience, would we not be writing books about it? Paul had to be pressed to this measure to even mention it. And he hardly goes into any detail. How awesome it's going to be to get to heaven and hear that conversation that took place that Paul isn't even allowed to talk about on this planet. And I love the way he describes it. He knows people are going to ask, did you really go to heaven? Was it just a dream? Was it just a vision? Did you really go? So he answers the question twice before they can even ask it. I have no idea what happened that day, he says. Only God knows. All I know is that I was in heaven and God spoke to me words inexpressible which a man is not permitted to speak. So why is it that Paul refuses to boast about such experiences and all his accomplishments and all he's doing for Christ, quote-unquote? Verse 6 continues, So that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Now, there are two back-to-back dynamite lessons for us today in this right here. The first is Truth Lesson 11. Prevent others from thinking too highly of you. Versus making the mistake of ignoring or even accepting and enjoying misplaced credit and approval. We cannot control the way people think about us. But we can certainly influence them in the right direction. And Paul is doing everything he can to keep people from crediting him with more than they see and hear from him. 
Verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Again, to keep me from exalting myself. There's the second truth in this pair. Truth lesson 12. Don't think too highly of self. That's a needed lesson because we too easily make the mistake of exalting self, elevating self, promoting self. We call it conceit. Notice that Paul even says it twice to keep me from exalting myself. He only mentions the concern of others thinking too highly of him one time. I am half as worried about others thinking too highly of me as a pastor as I am me thinking too highly of myself. Pride. Conceit. And we see here Paul setting an example for all of us in doing what he can to prevent others from putting him on a pedestal. And God's doing what he needs to do to keep Paul from putting himself on the pedestal. Isn't this an interesting set of truths? You almost get the impression that the pedestal is a problem for Christian leaders. At least a massive temptation. Lord, help us. Lord, help me and each of those who lead in our church family. May we be servant leaders. Thankfully, God chastens those He loves. He disciplines them because He loves them too much. Hebrews 12.6 He'll even bring a messenger of Satan into the picture if He has to. Look at the next verse. Or as the verse continues, For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Are you ready for truth lesson 13? This is what is going to probably rattle the faith of some of us here. Number 13, even Christians can be tormented by Satan and demons. Don't make the mistake of thinking that the forces of darkness can't touch you or impact your life. Now, while we're not going to leap into a full-fledged study of demonology and the believer, I realize I can't just throw that point out there and move on to number 14. So very quickly... Let's observe a few very basic but still fundamental truths lest this point suddenly get pulled way out of context. First, the Apostle Paul clearly states that he was tormented by a messenger of Satan. Whether that was a person or a spirit or an illness, etc., we do not know. This much we do know. It was directly from Satan. It wasn't chance. It wasn't just a mean person. It wasn't just a very unfortunate circumstance. It was from Satan. It was satanic oppression. Again, whether it came from a person or through a person or some other physical reality, we don't know. And for the moment, it doesn't matter. We do know that it was directly from Satan. Paul was a very big target. Here's something else we observe. It didn't invade his soul or spirit. The Holy Spirit resides there in all believers. Paul was oppressed, but he was not what? Possessed. Thankfully, that is a spiritual impossibility for followers of Christ. How does the verse specifically describe this situation? A thorn in the flesh. Think back to Job in the Old Testament. 
the most righteous man walking the earth. Satan was permitted by God to strike Job's body with boils. And if you've read that book, then you know that was probably the least of Job's torments. But what's the key word I just mentioned? Permitted. Here's where we get the bigger picture, the better picture, the hopeful and overcoming picture. Verse 8, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Truth lesson 14. Such torment happens only within God's permission. We don't want to make the the mistake of failing to recognize God's sovereignty in severe spiritual trials. Notice, Paul didn't yell at the devil to go away, did he? He didn't fight the devil. At this moment, instead, he turned straight to God and he begged God to send the oppression away. Why? He knew God had the power. And all God's people said, Amen. God, you've got the power. You have the authority. Please send it away. If you speak, it will disappear. Verse 9 gives more insight into this power factor. And he, that is God, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. Truth lesson 15. God's power will be all you need in times of trouble. It's a mistake for us to think, I can't handle it, which is to think, and neither can God. Have you ever had a need so severe that you begged God over and over to take it away? Paul did. And he's an apostle. I hope that encourages your heart like it does mine. But there's a far greater encouragement in the verse. My grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes, oftentimes, our minds can't understand that. Only faith can. Sometimes all we can say is, I believe you, Lord. To the end, by faith, by grace, I am going to believe. Then we find faith. Then we find peace and hope and strength knowing that God will not fail His Word. His grace is and always will be sufficient. And what's the second half of God's reply? We don't want to run out here with only half of this verse on our minds. The second half completes the first. My grace is sufficient for you. For power, specifically referring to God's power, power is perfected in weakness, is perfected. The Greek used there means is accomplished. Truth lesson 16. God's grace moves most mightily in our weakness. What's the natural tendency, the natural thought? Weakness just leads to weakness. Here's the truth of the matter. Weakness is the stage on which God's power performs. Our weakness is the spotlight that draws attention to His power. Weakness is the circular glass that magnifies grace. Can Satan and demons be a thorn in the flesh to even the most committed believers? Yes. But only 
when God allows it. And if he allows it, what accompanies it? All the grace we could ever need. Friend, this should drive you and I to treasure and to love and to cling to the grace of God. It's a guaranteed victory. Why do we like watching action movies? Ah, because we always know the good guy's going to win. And the bigger the action, right? The, f- the further and the harder the hero falls, the better the victory. But we go into it always knowing the good guy's going to win. How much truer for the people of God. How much truer for the kingdom of God. And God loves to magnify and accomplish His power through our greatest weaknesses. There are some hard application truths at play here. Are you and I willing to accept the torment, the trouble, the persecution that can very well come from principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. Are you and I willing to accept those troubles? Are we willing to accept that kind of trial and tribulation so God can use us to prove that He is stronger? There's only one way a person can say, yes, I accept. And that is by faith in the authority and the sufficient power of God. Spiritual truths, spiritual realities like this drive a person to strategize less and pray more. To read fewer blogs and more psalms. A spiritual battle is coming our way. You and I know it. It's already arrived whether we are willing or not. Will you and I choose grace day by day? And it's a fresh choice every day. We know this. Here's Paul's response. Here's the response you and I want to pursue with every fiber of our faith. He says, most gladly, therefore. Let that sink in. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. King James Version puts it this way, Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. Truth Lesson 17. Gladly magnify God's strength in your weakness versus making the mistake of sadly magnifying God's grace in your weakness. Please allow me to be the first to say, I am working on this. As I study these texts and these truths, I see this is not the tendency of my heart and mind. But oh, how I want it to be. And I know many of you echo that same prayer. Oh, to have the freedom and the unshakable faith, the confidence to be able to smile upon our afflictions. 
I am learning to smile upon my afflictions, but I'll be honest, my smile comes way toward the end of resolution. Oh, that we would learn to smile at the first sight. That's going to take some grace. Oh, to know that God is sovereign and He will win the day in His perfect time. Think way back to chapter 1 of this book with me. What shocking statement did Paul make in verses 8 and 9? He said, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren. That's Paul saying, everybody listen up. You need to hear this. He said, We don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Again, I don't know why I find such comfort in knowing Paul wasn't perfect. He wasn't a super spiritual hero. Verse 9, he said, Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Christian friend, are you and I willing to go there? Are you sure you want to learn what it means to not trust in self, but in God who raises the dead. I dare say there's only one place we can really learn that, and that is when we're near dead. When we are burdened excessively, beyond our strength, despairing perhaps even of life, Paul went that low, and he learned to let go of his own strength so he could grab hold of God. What a lesson. Even the Apostle Paul, 14 years into his apostleship, still had to learn this lesson. So much truth, so much power. But look at the freedom and look at the confidence and the peace it yielded in Paul's heart. Satan himself was no match for the grace of God in Paul. Look at Paul's continued response in verse 10. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Truth lesson 18. Here's the last one for us today. Be very content. Be perfectly satisfied to suffer for Christ. Sadly, the mistake is often made of avoiding or looking negatively upon our suffering for Christ. Before we look at the content factor that Paul gives here, let's remember the reality of our calling, the reality of what it means to be a Christian, to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, lest we be surprised when this reality comes. Paul said to the church at Philippi in Philippians 1.29, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. 2 Timothy 3.12, what did Paul have to say to his, his uh, apprentice? Indeed, that means most definitely true. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be what? 
persecuted. Suffering should not come as a surprise to God's people. Oppression from the enemy should not come as a surprise. This is our calling. This is part of the road. It shouldn't come as a surprise, but neither should hope. Neither should grace and strength. Psalm 34, 19. What did did the psalmist learn? He said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That's why Paul could say to the believers in Rome, in Romans 5, 3, we also rejoice in our tribulations. How could Paul say such things from prison? We rejoice, we exult in our tribulations. James learned this lesson, and so he could tell the believers in many of the churches to what? Count it all joy when you experience various trials. We see the joy factor here, and it stands in stark contrast to sadness in suffering. Sadness says, I'm willing to suffer, I'm willing to sacrifice, but I sure, didn't, I sure wish it didn't have to be this way. I don't like it. I wish I could change it. Poor me. Is that what we hear Paul saying in these chapters? Do we even hear hints of this? No, Paul didn't just say, I'm willing. He said, I am well content. I am perfectly satisfied. I have no desire for change, no desire for something else, no desire for another way. Again, the King James says, I take pleasure in my infirmities. How in the world can a person say those words? It's because they understand that when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you and I really understand those words? Are we experiencing more and more both the transformed perspective and the empowered reality that Paul is teaching in these verses? I fear a lot of people acknowledge it, believe it, but they aren't experiencing it. We'll know we understand and are experiencing the power and the joy and the peace when verses 9 and 10 are the verses, are the song we sing. You see, everybody remembers to quote, my grace is sufficient. But have we memorized the rest of the two verses? And are we living it? Oh, that we will be able to walk through trials this week. The trials that God allows regardless of who and where they come from. The trials God allows, and oh, that we would be able to say, I wouldn't change anything in my life. Lord, magnify your grace in my weakness, in my trial, in my insults, in my distresses and persecutions and difficulties. You can have them all, and I accept them all, Lord. That said, it would be a tremendous mistake for us to fall short of the last three words in the phrase, for Christ's sake. Let me be quick to say, and I don't remember the reference for this one, but it goes something like this. You don't have to look for trouble. It will find you. The Bible does not promote self-harm, self-punishment, asceticism as it's called. That's extreme self-denial and self-harm, common in many religions like Buddhism, Hinduism, and so on, often used by monks 
in past centuries and up to today. Paul is not about self, talking about self-inflicted suffering, but rather the suffering that automatically and naturally is guaranteed to come when we follow Christ. But Christ is the key. What a tremendous make, mistake to fall short of those three words that Paul gave in the verse here, for Christ's sake. What a travesty to say, I'm willing to suffer and then forget to do it for Christ's sake. I fear that's a far more common mistake among Christians than we realize. Paul isn't talking about just hanging in there through these seemingly never-ending trials. He's not talking about taking the hardest hits of life like a man. He's not talking about just keeping your chin up through that very severe illness. Paul is talking about enduring all of life's trials for Christ's sake, for the sake of the gospel, for the advancement of the kingdom of God. There's a very big difference there. As we see in context, he's particularly referring to the sufferings that come upon us in the line of duty as we're faithfully following and serving and telling others about Christ. When those hardships come, it's one thing to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you through this persecution or this false accusation, this strained relationship. Maybe it's through this financial hardship or this illness. You fill in the blank. It's another to say, Lord, by your grace, I am well content with these things for Christ's sake. Lord, if even one person comes to saving faith in you because they see the joyful grace of God in me, then I am perfectly satisfied to walk this painful road. If you sanctify me, Lord, it's well worth it. If my brothers and sisters in Christ choose more grace because they see God's sufficient grace in me, then I take pleasure in my infirmity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. My church family, it is one thing for me to preach these truths. It is one thing for you to nod your head in agreement. It is another for us to live it. Will we choose faith in grace and obedience to Christ when we walk out those doors and hit Monday morning? Perhaps you're right in the middle of a great hardship and you're thinking, I'm not strong enough. That's a perfect place to begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are not strong enough. As much as we would like to be like the Stoics, reality proves to us over and over again we are not strong enough. We need you. We need sufficient grace. And the joyful reality is that you promise it. Lord, test our faith this morning, not just our theology. We know 
you are strong in our weaknesses. We know that your grace is all we need. But does that sink from our minds to our hearts, Lord? Are we experiencing and are we able to sincerely say what Paul said in these verses? I boast in my weaknesses. I am well content. I take pleasure in my infirmities for Christ's sake. Lord, I expect that by your grace, we both as individuals and a church family will walk from this place stronger than we were before. And we will know that it is not our strength, praise God. It is the strength of the creator of the universe. It is the strength of the one who sustains everything we see. It is the strength of the one who knows all things, the one who controls all things, the one who determines destiny, the one who holds the keys to both heaven and hell. It is Almighty God who gives us strength. Thank you, Lord, for loving little old us. Thank you for caring. Thank you for treasuring. Thank you for giving us all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that we will ever need this lifetime. Lord, give us a vision, 2020 clarity, not only for this life, not only for these trials, not only for these blessings, but especially for the life to come. We are reminded that in Hebrews 11, those who you lifted up as being testimonies of faith did not receive the promise but they looked forward to a better country, a heavenly one, where they knew that all would be made right, that every tear would be wiped away, where there would be no more sin and no more pain. We would stand forever, we will stand forever in the glories of God, our Father, our King. Lord, give us a vision that sees past the things that our eyes rest upon in this life. Give us vision for the things that are not seen, the things that are spiritual, the things that are eternal. Because as our mind changes, as our heart changes, we see the things of God. We see, experience the power of God. Thank you, Lord, for what you are going to do this day and this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.